0: How's everyone doing? Good. Will you stand with me? We're going to read God's Word. This is in Colossians chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather. We thank you for uh, keeping the weather um, good enough for us to get up here this week. We pray, Lord, that your word would go forth in all the churches um, across this nation, across the world, Lord, and as we're hearing the word today, um, so are our brothers and sisters in Christ um, across this nation and across the world, Lord. So um, we are united with them in one faith, Lord, in one Lord, one baptism, God. And we thank you that we have unity in Christ. So I ask, Lord, that you would be with us, God. I ask that you would uh, bless our Foundations Conference coming up this weekend. Um, that the members here would be able to attend, that they would uh, be fed um, by the different speakers um, your word and your truth, Lord. It would be a time of sweet fellowship. Lord, we thank you for our children. It's our desire um, that each one of them would come to know you. And we know that apart from your Spirit, um, that won't happen. So we ask for your mercy and your grace, and our children that you would send your spirit to work on their hearts to speak to their heart um, to fill them lord and give them the gift of faith god save them lord um, only you can do that god let us be diligent in teaching them the word let us be diligent in praying for them and be faithful examples um, ourselves uh, to them lord we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, I pray um, for each one of us here, wherever you have us right now, um, whatever whatever uh, situation in life, Lord, you have us going through, that you would be the sustainer and that you would um, walk with us each step of the way, that we would be reminded daily of your goodness, that you would shine your light on our hearts, God, and continue to remind us that you are a faithful God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. We love you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Well, last time we looked at how we belong to Jesus through faith and belonging to Jesus, actually being one of his and truly believing in him is the bedrock For the foundation of the vision of liberty. You have to have this foundational step. You have to belong to Jesus through faith. Um, If you don't belong to him, then the rest of really the whole Christian life, it just doesn't matter. So we belong to Christ through faith. Is it a simple faith? Yes, it is. It's not a trick question. It's so simple that a child can have saving faith, right? But the things that we believe in are so deep and profound that we will mine the depths of it for all eternity. And I'm looking forward to it. We're going to continue right now, mining some of those depths. So we're going to continue with the topic of belonging to Jesus. This week we're going to look at how part of belonging includes our identity. In Jesus, When we talk about identity, it answers the question, who are you? So who or what a person is. Um, so it looks at who are you, but I think also it asks whose are you? Whose are you? Now, everyone that owns a business wants you to identify with their brand right? Political parties want you to identify with their party. Even schools want you to identify with their school. Even sports teams want you to identify with them. So you can identify as a cardinal or a tiger or a blue jay or a ram, even a (laughs) jayhawk. I mean, even credit card companies want you to identify with their brand, okay? automakers think about it. I mean, there's probably some cars you'd never buy. There's probably some cars you can't afford to buy. <laughs> but there's probably some cars you just never buy. Why? Because that's not your brand. You don't have that identity. Nike, Under Armour, why do we pay so much money for like a little swish on our T-shirt or our shoes? It's about identity. Well, identity was actually important with Jesus. He asked the disciples a very important question. I want you to see it. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Keep your place in Colossians because we're going to come back to it. Now, starting in verse 13, it says this in Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? So he's getting to the question of identity. How do you identify me, my disciples? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So even when we talk about identity, which we've talked about a little bit in the past regarding understanding the right Jesus... Um, Jesus himself wanted to make sure that the disciples, his very own disciples, understood who he was. Now, when we talk about the Christian life, the believer, first and foremost, has his identity in Christ. In fact, 91 times in the New Testament, that little phrase, in Christ, is used. Why? Why? Because your identity is so closely linked with Christ that the New Testament writers and God himself wanted to emphasize that you are united with Christ. And it is a vitally important thing for each one of us to recognize and know. Now, we could look at all 91 of those if we wanted to. And someday we actually might, because union with Christ is a key topic. And it links in with our identity with Christ. Because when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about him being like a fifth wheel. We're not talking of him like an afterthought to our life. It's not like you have your life and then you just kind of tack Jesus onto it. That's not real Christianity. That's not real faith. Okay? You don't just tack him on like you would like a hobby. Okay? Some of you guys like hunting, Okay, but that, that doesn't define your life. And some of you like sports, and that doesn't... Okay, it shouldn't define your life. (laughs) Belonging means we identify with Christ, and he is the very thing that defines our life. Nothing else comes close. Look back at Colossians. Look at that verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears. You see that? No, that's a real question. Do you see it? Good. When Christ, who is your life? So Christ, that's my first point today. Christ is our life. If Christ is our life, then what does that say about how we identify with him? He's our everything. Think of what it says in Philippians 121. To live is what? To live is Christ. To live is Christ. So the entire life that we live should be about Jesus. It should be encompassed in the things of God himself. So Christ is our life. His life is our life. But that also means that our life is his life. What do I mean by that? We identify with Christ not only in his life, but also in his death. We identify with Christ in his death. Look at Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I remember when I first got saved back in college, reading that for the first time. I just remember sitting there for, for minutes, and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes trying to wrap my mind around what that even possibly could mean. Like, I have been crucified with Christ. Because I knew he was crucified, right? I mean, he was put on the cross. His sins were, my sins were placed upon him. But what does it mean that I was crucified with Christ? Because I knew he was all about my life. And my, me, was, I was all about him. But to be crucified with Christ? Well, keep reading. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have an identity with Christ, not just in his life, which is important, but also in his death. That verse was so important to me, I memorized it in the Greek. And that was before I even learned Greek. But I was just like, that's such a powerful verse. I'm going to memorize it. Not just in the English, I'm going to memorize it in the original Greek. And what's interesting is when it goes on and he says, it is no longer I who live, um, most of the time in Greek, when the word I is used, the pronoun, um, it's, actually ne- it's, just kind of, it's actually encapsulated in the verb. I hope that makes sense. Um, but they can just use a verb, and you know which pronoun is being used, which subject. I, he, she, it, we, you all, they. But occasionally... They'll actually use the word for I in Greek. And when the writers do it, they're bringing special attention to I or me. So if you think about it, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's really how Paul wants that emphasized. It's no longer I. It is not about any one of us. It's not about us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. That is the focus. He is the one who we focus on, He is the one we identify with. Look at Romans chapter 6. We'll see a similar idea. It says this in verse 8 Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Isn't that interesting? You have to die to live. You have to die to live. If we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. You see, all these verses we're looking at, they're talking about living, right? They're talking about life. This life is not just the biological living. Every time that word that we're looking at is used, it's the, there's different words in the Greek for life. It's always the ones doe is how I would pronounce it. We even have a ministry, the Zoe ministry. It's talking about life more than just physical living. It's physicality, sure, but it's also the spiritual side of things. And when Christ talks about giving us life, well, it's kind of apparent. I mean, we have life, right? I mean, we have a physical life. But when he's talking about giving us life, an abundant life, he's talking more than just us living around and walking and being on this earth, He's talking about a spiritual life that we have, an eternal life that we have with him and the Father. So, we identify with him in his life, we identify with him in his death, we also identify with him in his resurrection. Back in Colossians chapter 3. If then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So he's writing this, Paul's writing this to the Colossians. Every time you see a conditional statement in, in, in uh, the Greek, in your, in your Bible, in the English even, he's not um, questioning their salvation. It's just kind of almost like a, a literary device. Um, if you have been raised with Christ, and really the wording is, and I know you have, What's implied? So if you've been raised with Christ, and I know you have, then seek the things that are above. If you're a believer, you've been crucified with Christ, but you've also been raised with Christ. So both those concepts are important because the old you is gone. The old man was crucified. Now, I remember when I uh, first got saved and all my friends um, were noticing changes, and one of them I remember saying to me, Very clearly, I want the old Mike back. And I was like, he's gone. And he's not coming back. Okay, The old is gone. I have been crucified with Christ. So who I was is gone. And what I am is raised with Christ. The newness of life that each one of us has in Jesus Christ. Amen? Look back at Romans 6. I know i got you flipping all around today, guys. And God here drives this point home to us, Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I mean, isn't that beautiful? United with him in death, united with him in his resurrection. What a, what a great promise here that our resurrection when Christ comes back to claim his own, it's not just some spiritual resurrection. It'll be a physical, bodily resurrection just like his. We've been united with him in death. We are united with him in his resurrection. Amen. That's my second point. So we identify with Christ in his life, his death, his resurrection. Thirdly, and this is important, Christ owns us. He owns us. That's what it means to belong to him, really. Um, Look at Romans, a couple chapters over in Romans 8. In verse 9 it says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And some versions uh, say he is not his. You could, you could translate it uh, at the very end there. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ is not of him, right, is not his, does not belong to him. That's the idea. And what does it say in First Corinthians 6? You are not your own. You are not your own. You are not your own. Do you each understand that? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Guess what? If the father paid the price of his son, and if the son paid willingly the price of his own life, guess what? He purchased you. Guess what? If, if I showed up today um, at your house and just walked in, um, you probably wouldn't care for that. But if I just took your keys and took off with your car, you wouldn't be very happy with me. Why? Because that's your car. You purchased it. When you purchase something, you own it and you exercise ownership over it. So Christ, with his death, with the Father, covenanted what? For us to get us, to purchase us. So he has redeemed us. That is the purchase. He's purchased us. And guess what? If he purchases us, then he owns us. He owns us. That's why the Bible talks about us being slaves of Christ. We're slaves to him. He owns us. So, <clears throat> he owns us. Well, that's pretty important when it comes to our identity because we're identified by the owner himself. God Himself owns us. Listen, identity is under attack in Christianity. It's really under attack all over the place. But you can't put adjectives before the word Christian. I know sometimes we do. We talk about liberal Christian or conservative Christian or different things like that. But the word Christian really doesn't and shouldn't have any modifiers to it. We shouldn't put adjectives before it because a Christian should just be a Christian, should be a Christian, We should be able to use that term and know exactly what we're talking about. And here's the thing your identity um, is not in your race, and your identity is not in your ethnicity, and it's not in your gender, and it's not in your sexuality. That's not where your identity is found. So there's no such thing, really, as a black Christian, or a white Christian, or a Swedish Christian, or a Jewish Christian, or anything like that. It's just Christian. And when you start putting qualifiers to it, you, you misunderstand identity. And you can get the whole thing wrong. Um, there's, look, that's not the stamp. That's my, really my point. That's not the stamp on your life that defines who you are. Any of those things, race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, those things don't define who you are, ultimately. Your ultimate identity is found in Christ. Look, each one of us has, has a stamp on us. all right. Did you know this? you got a stamp on you, and it says, made by God in his image. And that is every person's true identity, believer or unbeliever, is made by God in his image. And those that have trusted in Christ and those that belong to him, the scriptures say that God has put his seal on us. He has sealed us. And that seal is the Holy Spirit. And guess what? What God has sealed... Man can't unseal. So God puts us in Christ. And if he has purchased us, guess, guess what? You can't be unpurchased. Okay, He's purchased us, and he's paid the ultimate price. So God puts you in Christ, and that's where your identity is. Your identity is in Christ, not in your spouse. All right, Hollywood would have us believe if, if we can just find the right person for us, then we're happy and complete and we'll never need anything else. We'll live happily ever after. But your identity is not in your spouse. Your identity is not in your children. Your identity is not in your work. It's not in your school. It's not in your leisure. And if you find it in anything or anyone besides Christ, you'll be disappointed. Because here's the thing. If Christ is your life, then you don't need anything else to satisfy you. I'm going to say that again. If Christ is your life, then you don't need anything else to satisfy you. You don't need a relationship to satisfy you. You don't need a spouse to satisfy you. You don't need sex to satisfy you. You don't need those things. Okay, you don't need any pleasure, whether it is righteous. Or sinful to satisfy you because christ is enough christ is enough and if you have jesus if you belong to him then you have what you need for full satisfaction now that's an easy statement to make i understand that and it's an easy statement to profess with our mouth and say we believe it it's a hard statement to live out but none the less it's true So if you have Jesus, if you're his and he is yours, you have what you need for full satisfaction. Listen, stop turning and drinking from the empty cisterns of the world. They will not satisfy you. Are you not happy that you're single? Well, Christ is enough. Are you not happy you don't have a girlfriend or boyfriend? Christ is enough. Are you not happy with your marriage? Christ is enough. Not happy with your job? Christ is enough. And until you are satisfied in Christ, you'll never be truly satisfied. Are you hearing me? Here's what it says in Galatians. Uh, Just turn there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They've crucified it. If Jesus is yours and you are his, That's what you've done, it says. And my exhortation to you is then live like it. Live like you've done that. Let it be apparent to you, to others, and to God himself. You will be most satisfied in life when you are most satisfied with Christ. All right, gold, silver, you can have all that stuff. I forget who the the famous celebrity was. I think he might have been a chef or something this past year. He um, committed suicide. Super famous, popular, I'm sure millions of dollars. Wasn't satisfied. He wasn't satisfied. Okay, You have all the treasures that you need in Christ. Look, look back in Colossians. We're going to go one chapter earlier. Colossians chapter 2. He says, starting in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One of the things Paul is combating in Colossians is this idea of kind of this hidden knowledge, this Gnosticism, that you had to have this special knowledge or this hidden knowledge to really be right with the Lord, to really be kind of in with him, so to speak. So he's combating that here, and he's saying that this false knowledge or this false gnosis, uh, as you might call it, was false because Christ is enough. You don't have to have any other periphery stuff added on if you have Christ. Why? Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't have to have some secret handshake. You don't have to have some secret book written in some secret language. You don't have to have some secret rite that you do. If you have Christ, then you have what you need. And that is where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. Listen, the world offers you gold. But when you look closer, it's fool's gold. It is a fool's gold. And some of you have been purchasing it, and you're disappointed, and you should be. It has the appearance of something very valuable, but it's empty. I mean, choose the real treasure, which is Christ. Choose the real treasure. Christ is the real treasure. You have so many riches in Christ. So many riches. He's blessed you with riches and riches and riches and riches. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. It says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we have these blessings that God has given us. And then he goes on, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay? We got this rich grace pouring everywhere. We got blessings being poured out upon us, spiritual blessings. Look at this word in verse 8, which he lavished upon us. Right? He's not just like, I don't know if you're, like, grown up or whatever, and, like, sometimes, you, I don't know, maybe there's, like, the plate of cookies or whatever, maybe your mom just, like, gave you one or something like that, right? I mean, this word lavish is like the, the plate of cookies. He just, like, pushes it right towards you. Just take, take it all, as much as you want, right? It's lavish, lots and lots and lots and lots. He lavished it upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. But it goes on, in verse 11, in him we obtained an inheritance. All, right, all these words being used, inheritance, and riches, <clears throat> blessings. In him we have obtained an inheritance, which having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We've got so many riches in Christ, friends. God is so good to each one of us. Even the worst of the worst of the worst, God blesses abundantly. It is true. And none of us have any reason to complain. We don't. Does that mean our situations aren't hard? No, some of them are quite challenging. But God, in Christ, has lavished us amazingly, with a bounty that sometimes I feel we've only like slightly scratched the surface of. So I encourage you drink from cisterns that aren't of this world, drink from cisterns that are truly the water of life. Drink from Jesus Himself, the eternal water, and you will never thirst again. Don't look inner for your identity. Okay, That's like psychobabble stuff. That's what the world is spouting. Okay, Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Look to him for your identity. When you understand that, then you are starting to understand some key things with who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. You are Christ's. You are his. He has purchased you with a price that only he could pay. And he loves you with a love that's unfathomable. It is an agape love that is pure. It is righteous. It is holy. It is amazing. And each one of us can sip from that cup. We can sip from it. We can drink from it. We can know that We can know it here, and we can know it here. And I pray that you do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son for us. We thank you that our life is found in him. We thank you that our identity is not in what we do, but it's in you. It's in your son. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give us through your Son, all the riches that we have in the heavenlies, Lord. And I pray for each one of us, Father, that we would start to see those riches, Lord, clearly in your word. We would understand what it means to live the Christian life. We would understand, Lord, what it looks like to walk by faith. Lord, give us wisdom, each one of us wisdom, and understanding to rightly live for you. And whatever needs to be brushed aside, whatever needs to be torn away, whatever needs to be tossed overboard, God, in our life, things that aren't pleasing to you, things that are slowing us down, things that are hindering us from our walk with you, that we would do those things and get rid of them. We would completely toss them away. We would completely throw them overboard. Whatever is slowing us down, Father. Good or bad, Lord, we want to walk rightly and wholly and completely with you. So I pray for us, I pray for each one of us. Pray for my brothers and sisters here. Pray for myself, God, that you would continue to conform us to the image of your son. We want to be more like your son, Jesus. And we want to image him well. We want others to see it, Lord. We want it to be apparent to others. So, Lord, continue your cleansing work. Continue to sanctify us, Lord. Continue to have us persevere, Lord. And fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might walk in your ways and please you in all things. Amen.